0: It kind of feels that way sometimes, doesn't it? When we start to talk about who's in charge of the church, it's, it's easy to feel like Abbott and Costello. We wonder who's on first. Is it the elders? Who? Or it, maybe, maybe it's the deacons. I don't know. Is it the church board or the trustees? Maybe. Somebody's got to be on first base. When it comes to biblical leadership, where do we take our cues from? It's a confusing question. It's been one that many congregations have struggled with for many years. A lot of churches have found themselves in difficult positions because they're taking cues from the wrong places. And a lot of churches have found themselves in really healthy places because they're taking cues from the right places. So for the next four weeks, we want to ask, who's on first? All right, where where are we going to take our cues from when it comes to biblical leadership? And we're doing it for two important reasons. First of all, obviously, you know that church elections are coming up here in the very near future. And we want to understand biblical leadership a little bit better. We're going to be electing elders and deacons and trustees and and Sunday school officials, so we want to establish a good foundation for what makes a strong biblical leader. But the second reason and, and in my mind, this is the most important reason the second reason we're going to study biblical leadership is because I want all of us, all of us to be aware of our potential as biblical leaders and the responsibility that each of us have to lead biblically in some areas of our lives. So uh, men. Maybe that's taking up the mantle of spiritual leadership in your home. Uh, women, maybe that's making sure that you set the right example for daughters, st- students. Maybe that means that you need to show your classmates what a Christian looks like, or your coworkers, or your cousin, or your neighbor, or your mailman. I don't care. You have some area of your life that you have a responsibility to lead spiritually in, and I want you to feel equipped to step up. And take that leadership that God has called you to. For that reason, we're going to spend the next four weeks looking at what biblical leadership is. I'm sorry, we're going to take the next two weeks and look at what biblical leadership is. And then the following two weeks after that, we're going to look at that leadership through the lens of the elder and the deacon specifically. So let's start off real basic, ground level, foundation work. What is biblical leadership go I'm just kidding biblical leadership is relying on Holy Spirit biblical leadership is relying on Holy Spirit Uh, that's my sermon let's close with a word of prayer and then you can go have lunch feel free to laugh that was my joke it's the only one you're getting this sermon, so laugh at it. All right, make it make it worthwhile. So I realize that when I say biblical leadership is relying on Holy Spirit, I know what I'm doing. I'm taking a vague term that needs explanation, and I'm explaining it with a vague term that needs explanation. I realize that. All right, it's kind of like unwrapping a Christmas present and finding a wrapped package inside. All right, so I understand that my explanation needs a little bit of work, and that's what we're gonna do. Okay. Um, because of that, we're going to spend some time looking at the role of Holy Spirit in our lives. All right, and so we're going to start with Acts chapter two, in verse thirty-seven. Here's what it says: When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, "Brothers." What shall we do? And Peter replied, each of you must repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of Holy Spirit. Boy, that's a good passage. Somebody should put that in a sermon sometime. Holy Spirit, so first of all, here's, here's, what I want you to, here's what I want you to realize from this. This is just, again, this is basics. Holy Spirit is received in baptism. Baptism. Holy Spirit is received in baptism. And so here's what that means for us. Baptism, it's more than just a symbolic thing. Right? This isn't just some symbol of some other thing that we do. It is significant. It's in baptism that we receive forgiveness of our sins. Completely and eternally, we are forgiven of our sins, and we also receive the gift of God's Holy Spirit. It's in baptism that we become clothed in righteousness, Clothed in righteousness. Why don't you to think about that? Some of you are looking at your outfit and you're like, "I think I'm dressed okay today. I think I think I'm fine. I my tie matches my shirt. Well, my tie doesn't, but yours might, right? The the tie matches the shirt. The slacks are pressed. My dress is nice. I I'm 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 fine with how I look today. I don't. I'm good without being clothed in righteousness. Let me challenge that. What I wear is not an indication of my righteousness. Do you know what indi- is an indication of my righteousness? Holy Spirit's presence in my life. What I wear is not an indication of my righteousness. Do you know what is an indication of my righteousness? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. What I wear is not an indication of my righteousness. Do you know what is? Do you know what it is? the way that I treat the people around me, the way that I act in God's name. So if you're a guest at Mount Tabor this morning, I want you to know we don't have a dress code. Right? You can wear jeans if you want. Uh, it's hot outside. I'm, I'm okay if you wear shorts. If you want to wear a suit and tie, more power to you. We don't have a dress code. Here's why. Here's why we don't have a dress code. Because I'm more concerned with what's going on in here than I am with what's going on right here. Okay? Okay? But I do hope that no matter how you choose, first of all, I hope that you do come dressed. That is the dress code. We do have a dress code, come dressed, okay? <laughs> but no matter how you choose to come dressed, I hope that you'll choose to be clothed in righteousness through baptism. All right, here, it's important, and, and here's why. Uh, when I was baptized, I didn't, I didn't become a person who was unable to sin, right there was no like invisible force field that existed between me and sin so before i could reach through here to sin and now all of a sudden i'm baptized and it's like i can't physically do that anymore i'm a terrible mime right i'm still able to sin right when i when i was baptized i didn't become a person who is incapable of sinning i have the same capacity for sin i have the same tendencies and the same temptations the difference is i'm not fighting alone anymore Even though I still sin, I'm not fighting alone. I now have the Holy Spirit, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, is working with me and fighting sin with me. And just as amazingly, even though I still sin, when God looks at me, he doesn't see a sinner. He sees Holy Spirit when he looks at me. God sees a righteousness that I have been given as a gift. I haven't earned it. I can't earn it. I I, I can't earn it. You can't earn it either. We're not good enough. Welcome to church. You're not good enough. But that's why you're here. But in baptism, we say, God, I know I'm not good enough. I know I'm not good enough. And can you please help me? I know I'm not good enough, God. Can you please help me? And you know what God says? What does God say when we say, I know I'm not good enough? Can you please help me? He says yes. <laughs> and that's it. He says yes. Do you know why he says yes? Because he loves you. Okay. In the front row here, he really loves people who sit in the front. Okay? He loves people who sit in the middle. He loves people who sit in the back. He loves never mind. He loves people who sit in the middle. He loves the people who sit in the back. He loves the people who sit in the front and people who sit in the middle and people who sit in the back and he loves people who aren't sitting in here right now and anybody who asks him, God, I know I'm not good enough. Will you please help me? You know what he says? He says yes because he's a God who loves us. And baptism is where we say, I need your help. I need your righteousness because I don't have any on my own. Even though I still sin, God doesn't see a sinner when he looks at me. He sees Holy Spirit at work in my life. That's why we emphasize baptism here. That's why I think you should be baptized. And that's where Holy Spirit begins to work in your life. Now I want to show you a few things that Holy Spirit does in your life. Pretty neat. First of all, Holy Spirit convicts of sin. I want to read John chapter 16. We'll start in verse 8. When he comes, this is Holy Spirit, when Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of its sins and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. First of all, Holy Spirit convicts of sin. Holy Spirit convicts of sin. Did you feel guilty when you told that meaningless lie? Do you feel guilty when you told that meaningless lie? Did you have to convince yourself that it was okay to rent that movie? Don't ignore that. That's Holy Spirit prompting you. And here's the principle. Here's the principle I need you to learn from that. The more you listen, the easier it is to listen. The more you ignore, the easier it is to ignore That seems pretty simple, right? That's just practice. The more you listen, the easier it is to listen, the more you ignore, the easier it is to ignore. And that's just that's just the first part, right? Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. But that's just the first part. Here's the second half of the story. Once we are convicted, Holy Spirit leads us as we work to eliminate sin. Knowing something is bad is helpful, isn't it? Knowing knowing that you have something that's going on that's wrong, that's helpful. But fixing it is even better so i can imagine if you went to your mechanic and said hey something's wrong with my truck and your mechanic said yeah you're right something is wrong with your truck and then walked away right that would be helpful wouldn't it but it'd be far more preferable if the mechanic fixed the truck holy spirit says yeah you're right something is wrong let's work on fixing it together See how helpful that is? Holy Spirit convicts of sin, and then Holy Spirit guides us towards righteousness. He walks alongside us and works with us so that we can become more and more like Jesus. Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, and Holy Spirit helps us eliminate it in our lives. So that's one of the first things that Holy Spirit does. and The next thing I think is important and a little underrated Let me let me explain. Holy Spirit assures us that we are God's children. Holy Spirit assures us that we are God's children. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 15, says this. So you've not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call Abba, Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. It's a powerful thing to know that you are a part of God's family. It's a powerful thing. Any high school age guy can tell you it's a powerful thing. Uh, Let me explain. Uh... High school guy, it's inevitable. Any guy who's ever been in high school has liked a girl, okay? And, and here's what happens. He spends his time thinking about the girl. He's wondering uh, whether or not she likes him back. It's time to eat breakfast. I'm not hungry. She probably hates me. It's chemistry test. How could I possibly do science? She's sitting right there, okay? Driver's ed, she probably thinks I'm a loser because I hit that cone when I was parallel parking, Now, that's probably okay for the male ego, right? Guys, you could do with a dose of humility, okay? Uh, It's probably okay for the male ego to wonder about those things, but here's what's not okay. Here's what's not okay, being too nervous to eat breakfast because you're worried you're going to go to hell. Or or maybe you're not able to function in life because you're terrified that you're not good enough for God or that you're going to accidentally sin in some way. God didn't intend for you to walk around on eggshells your whole life. The testimony of Holy Spirit says that we are God's children. We're just children. We may mess up. But as long as we don't leave him, he won't leave us. Holy Spirit assures us that we are God's children. And I don't know how you feel about your kids. When I think about how I feel about mine, that's a comfort to me. I am an imperfect person, but I have a deep and amazing love for my two children. God, who is perfect, has a deeper and more amazing love for me and a deeper and more amazing love for you than we have even for our own families. The Holy Spirit's job is to remind us of that, that God loves you. That seems like such a simple thing to say in church, right? Like, like, you must be a rookie preacher because the only thing you said is God loves you. You didn't even use any big words. Listen, listen. God loves you. God loves you. If that's the only thing I ever say, that's plenty. Holy Spirit's job is to remind us that we are God's children. Finally, Holy Spirit's work is to make us look more like Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 17, says this. Whenever someone turns to the Lord, their veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I'm sorry, I wanted 17 and 18. Um, 18 says that uh, once you begin, or once you turn to the Lord and the veil is taken away, you are continually transformed by the power of Holy Spirit, and so that you look more and more like Jesus. That's a paraphrase, but that's what verse 18 says Holy Spirit makes us look more like Jesus. The function of Holy Spirit, more than anything else, is to make us more like Jesus. When we're clothed in righteousness, we look more like Jesus. When we are confident in our relationship with God, we are more like Jesus. When we are convicted of sin and by the power of Holy Spirit walk away from it in our lives, we are more like Jesus. The job of Holy Spirit is to make us more like Jesus. So when I say biblical leadership is relying on Holy Spirit, what I'm saying is, And when we rely on Holy Spirit, we're going to look more like Jesus today than we did yesterday. And we're going to look more like Jesus tomorrow than we did today. And in uh, August nineteenth, 2019, we're going to look more like Jesus than we do today. We're going to continue to grow in our faith to look more like Jesus as we rely on Holy Spirit more. And as we continue to look more and more like Jesus, then we start bringing people with us. We start bringing people with us. People are going to see that you're different, that there's something different about you, right? That, that your light shines a little bit differently than those around you. And people are going to see your good works and glorify God who is in heaven. And the people are going to see that you're, A little strange. They've probably already seen that about you, I'm just saying. But that you're just a little bit different, that you're just a little bit strange, and that you don't act the way other people act, and that even though they might try to accuse you, they'll be able to look at your conduct and say, there's something different about that person. And maybe they'll ask you, what's different? Or maybe they'll say, I bet it's Jesus that's different about them. As we continue to look more and more like Jesus, we'll begin to bring people with us. And that's the result of relying on Holy Spirit, being more like Jesus and bringing people with you. But those things can't happen without relying on Holy Spirit. They just can't. It's It's not unlikely. It's not unusual, it's not improbable, it is impossible unless we rely on Holy Spirit. So the question is, how do we do that? How do we do that? I want to give you three practical things, three practical ways to rely on Holy Spirit. Uh, You can start in your life right now. Some of you have been Christians for a long time and you're going to go, this is really basic stuff. Well, even pros practice dribbling, so this will be good for you, okay? Uh, The first way to rely on Holy Spirit is by reading your Bible. Read your Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting verse 16, says this. All Scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. I didn't read it from that translation. That's, never mind. Uh, it's, um, <laughs> it, it's pretty regular that I hear, I, I just want to know what God wants from me i just want to know what god wants for me in my life or or i just wish that god would speak to me and the only thing that comes to mind is he has it's right here in your bible we all want a burning bush kind of moment actually i don't i think that'd be terrifying (laughs) i don't know how you guys feel about flammable plant life but i would not find that to be very (laughs) enjoyable right uh we all want this kind of burning bush moment with god but we have something far better God told Moses something very specific, a very small portion of his plan, but God has revealed his entire plan to us. Everything that he wants us to know is contained in your Bible. What did God say to Noah? Build a big boat out of an obscure wood and make a zoo inside. What about Abraham? Leave your home and your family, and one day you'll be the father of many nations. We don't want that burning bush type of communication with God, but the truth is we have something better. We know what God said to Noah and Abraham and Moses, and we know what God has said to each of us. You want to know what God wants you to know? Sit down. Open up your Bible, because all of Scripture was written by Holy Spirit-inspired authors, and that's exactly what God wants you to know. So what does the Bible say? I'm going to set up sum it up real briefly for you. Just real brief summary of the whole Bible. We're hopeless because of our sin. All of us. We need a savior. Jesus came to be that savior. Now we can be more like Jesus and bring people with. Biblical leaders are students of the word of God. Not so that they can name drop Melchizedek in Sunday school or talk about epistemology above everybody's head. Biblical leaders are Bible readers because that's how you become more like Jesus. It's hard to be like somebody you don't know. And the place where we get to know Jesus is in our Bibles. Practical way to rely on Holy Spirit in your daily life is to just read your Bible. Spend time there. If you don't have one, find me after service. I'd love, I mean, listen to me. I would love to give you a Bible. Another way to rely on Holy Spirit is through prayer. Jude, in verse 20, says this. But you, dear friends, must build each other up in your most holy faith. Pray in the power of Holy Spirit. Pray in the power of Holy Spirit. How do we pray in the Holy Spirit? This isn't an invitation to charismatic prayer or speaking in tongues or anything like that. This is an invitation to pray in the knowledge and belief that Jesus is Lord. It may sound simple, but this is the way it is. Gary Holloway describes praying this way. Praying in the Spirit means confessing Christ and receiving help and prayer from Holy Spirit. A few weeks ago we said prayer is where your desire to change meets God. The healing power of Holy Spirit. Prayer is where your desire to change meets the healing power of Holy Spirit. And I just want to remind you of that today. Look at another verse. Romans 8.26 is a popular popular verse about Holy Spirit intercedes for us with, with deep groanings. It says this, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that can't be expressed in words. And the Father who knows the hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And, and here's what we do with this verse. Uh, we, we, we say, oh man, when we are at our wits end, when we don't know what else to do, then we'll pray. Right? Then if we are at our wits end, then, then Holy Spirit will intercede for us with groanings too deep four words when i've exhausted every other option then we'll turn to holy spirit and let him intercede for us here's what i want i want holy spirit to intercede for me always about everything and all of my weakness because i've got plenty not just when i'm at the end of my own ability i want that all the time i want holy spirit to intercede for me and i want that for you too Because that's God's power being perfected in our weakness. So when we pray, we're interacting with God's Holy Spirit in a personal way. Bible leaders have prayer lives because they know they can't do it on their own and they know where to turn. Finally, one of the best ways to engage with Holy Spirit in your daily life is by interaction with godly people. Interaction with godly people. That's why we encourage you to get involved in small groups. That's why we have Sunday evening services. That's why we meet here on Sunday mornings. That's why we have Sunday school classes. Sure, the knowledge is great, but what I love about Sunday school is the people. I love the people who encourage me by their faith. It's important to have somebody to talk to. That's why coming to church on Sunday is important. God has given us an incredible resource Other Christians, other Christians, like the person sitting next to you is somebody who has God's Holy Spirit living within them that might have encouragement or challenge or conviction for you today. God's given us other Christians, other Christians who are in dealt with God's Holy Spirit. So I want to pose a question to you. Why wouldn't we want to hear from people who have God's Spirit within them? Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 says that uh, these are gifts that Christ gave to the church. He gave apostles, he gave prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. As we do life together, we will grow. As we spend time together, as we worship together, as we read our Bibles together, as we pray together, as we just enjoy being around each other, we will grow individually and corporately. And as we grow individually and corporately, what we'll find is that more people want to be a part of what's going on. As we do life together, we will grow into a more mature faith. What's that more mature faith look like? It looks like a faith where we know how to rely on Holy Spirit. A faith where we bring people along with us as we grow to look more like Christ. A faith where questions are asked and answered confidently, not feeling like it's a dumb question. A faith where people are coming to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and a faith where people are continually growing. It's not something that any of us can do alone. It's not something that any of us can do together. It takes Holy Spirit working within each of us to accomplish that. And that's what I want for us. When we learn to rely on Holy Spirit, there is no limit to what God can do. In his church Biblical leadership is relying on Holy Spirit. I know that is countercultural. Right? If you read the news or all of the Facebook articles that talk about leadership or any of the books that talk about leadership, the most common view of leadership is, don't rely on anybody but yourself. Right, needing help is a sign of weakness or maybe even pull yourself up by your bootstraps and don't stop until you're at the top. But biblical leadership says no to all of that. Biblical leadership says enough with the macho nonsense, enough with the pride, stop and rely on Holy Spirit. So I want to invite you to just stop. Stop trying to do it all on your own. Stop pretending like you've got it all together. Stop pretending like you alone are master of all you survey and your own Savior. I want to invite you to stop thinking that way and living that way and say, I know I'm not good enough. I know I have my inadequacies. I know I have my own problems that I've been trying to hide and I'm tired of trying to hide them now. I just want to give them to God and confess that, God, I know I'm not good enough, but I know you are. Will you please help me? And you know what he'll say? Yes. Yes, I will help you. As we close today, I want to tell you, <laughs> I want to tell you a story about a guy named John Gaines. I'll tell you a story about a guy named John Gaines. In 1982, by the way, he owned a a farm in Kentucky called Gainesway Farm. He's an influential thoroughbred owner. In 1982, he was scheduled to deliver a speech at the Kentucky Derby. When Gaines got up to speak, it was a room full of mostly reporters, and nobody knew Gaines' plan, but his plan that day was to change the world of horse racing forever. During his speech, Gaines outlined a vision for a championship day of horse racing that would be known as the Breeders' Cup. It would be seven races for different ages and sexes of horse, and each would have a million dollar purse, except for the classic, which would be open to any horse, and would have a three million dollar purse. The horse racing world was electric as word of Gaines' vision spread. Some thought it was brilliant, some thought it was crazy, but everybody wondered if John Gaines was going to be able to pull this off and make it work. Everybody said, is John Gaines going to be able to make the Breeders' Cup a reality? Gaines contacted prestigious breeders from all over the country and he invited them to be a part of this Breeders' Cup And he sold his vision to a major network for televised coverage. He did all these things. In his first year, the Breeders' Cup was covered by NBC. In its second year, the Cup was given an unprecedented and unheard of four hour time slot. John Gaines had a bold plan to change the world of horse racing. God has a bold plan. To change the world. Church, do you know you know who we are in that story? If we were to use the story of John Gaines as an analogy for us as Christians, do you know who we are in that story? Some of us want to think we're John Gaines. I'm gonna burst your bubble a little bit this morning. We're not, we're horses. Okay? We're the horses. Some of you don't like that illustration, but Jesus used sheep, so mine's a little more favorable. Okay. You know what the horses did in the story of John Gaines? They followed their master, and they did what they were made for, and the world took notice. Church, do you know what we have to do? Do you know what we're called to do? We're called to follow our master, do what we're made for, to love your neighbor, to love God, to let your light shine before men. Let your life be a testimony of the goodness of God. We are called to follow our master and do what we're made for. If we do that, I guarantee the world will take notice. Let's pray. God, we come before you now and each of us, we confess that we are not good enough on our own. We confess to you that we need a righteousness that we cannot attain, we can't buy, we can't earn, we can't pay for, we can't make up for, a righteousness that comes from you that we need. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God, we ask for your help because we can't change that. So God, would you please help us? God, after you restore us and make us new, Would you begin to work in our lives so that we can look more like Jesus every day? Would you please use us as a testimony to those who still need to find Jesus? We pray this. We ask that you would use us in this way. In Jesus' name, amen.